Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to The Men of Valor Program. Today, Randy, we're going to continue our examination of uh, God being the God of the second chance, and we're focusing on a number of characters, and I do mean characters, in the uh, Bible. So far, we've talked about the prodigal son, the uh, woman caught in adultery, and today I thought we'd move back to the Old Testament and talk about one of my favorite Bible characters, uh, King David. And David was a character. David was a character, and uh, prone, I suppose, as... uh, Many men of great power are to uh, getting themselves involved in inappropriate relationships. Well, that's uh, that's a great place uh, to take our listeners today because this series has uh, uh, we've been getting some nice comments about this series, and and I think it's uh, there's something very empowering about seeing God through the eyes of understanding that He is a God of second and third and fourth chances. I uh, was looking at this story just to uh, familiarize myself again with the uh, the text and the passages of it, and I thought, actually, well, on one hand, I don't like fully doing this. I think it might be important, actually, to read this story. Okay. Uh, there's two parts to it, I think, and the average listener that we have, I suspect, is uh, somewhat familiar with uh, the Bible, and we know that David was the second king of Israel. His uh, father-in-law, actually, Saul, was the first king of Israel, the one that the people of Israel had demanded to have. So, And as we know, uh, David is generally regarded as the greatest king of all time. Uh, the lineage of Jesus is traced back to David, and I think that's one of the things we want to reiterate later, because when we think about God at the second chance, after the fairly egregious sexual sins that uh, David is guilty of perpetrating, to know that he is the patriarch that will lead directly uh, to the line of uh, Jesus himself, I think is an indication that that God is the God of the second chance. Well, my favorite part of the story, actually, because a lot of what we do here at Faithful and True is work with couples and and work with relationships, and uh, David had a marriage, as I just uh, referred to, to one of the daughters of Saul, uh, a woman by the name of Michael, which is an interesting name, but it's a Jewish name for a woman, I guess. And it was kind of a politically arranged marriage. I think it was uh, like a lot of times in uh, arranged marriages that kings and queens do. They're trying to solidify this. They're trying to pacify that. And so I think uh, Saul felt, and there's a part of the story where Saul finds out that his daughter Michael has fallen in love with David. I think he sees that as a good political thing to have happen. So I guess the uh, question is really, uh, Michael evidently loved David. Uh, Did David really love Michael? But then I'm going to start with a passage here that would indicate that uh, Michael was not always uh, perhaps an easy woman to live with. Uh, Are you ready, Randy? I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) Okay. Second Samuel chapter 6. Now, this follows what is, in fact, probably the one of the most major developments in the history of the Jewish people. The Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, had been housed first in the desert when they were first given to Moses. And then when the uh, people of Israel crossed the River Jordan, 
under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb and completed their campaign to gain control of the uh, territory there. The Ark of the Covenant had, had remained more or less in a tent. Uh, it had never been brought into any city. Uh, and the reason for that was they, they considered that it needed to be mobile because uh, there was not a time up to that point where they felt like they possessed a city in a safe enough way to keep the Ark of the Covenant safe. So in our story here in uh, 2 Samuel 6, David has finally uh, managed to solidify things enough to make Jerusalem safe enough to bring the Ark of the Covenant finally into the city of Jerusalem. I I think those that are familiar with the, the Jewish story, the story of the chosen people, can can understand and uh, and uh, appreciate the fact that this is in fact a major development. But what is interesting now is that David. Uh, this is uh, starting with verse fourteen of the sixth chapter. David wearing a linen ephod. I, I don't don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. And what a linen ephod is, uh, I think of. Uh, I don't know what I start thinking of. I probably shouldn't say what I start thinking of. But you know, <laughs> I think it's probably not a whole lot of clothing danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watching from a window, or watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. David sacrificed uh, burnt offerings. They brought the ark into the tent that David had pitched for it. Uh, After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. This was quite a treat back in that day. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord." Does this sound like a bit of a domestic dispute? Squabble. Yes, Michael is basically shaming him. She's calling him worse than a vulgar fellow. He is disrobing. She's basically accusing him of exhibitionism here and inappropriate, lewd and lascivious behavior. So it sounds like that piece of... uh of clothing that we were talking about must be some sort of maybe loincloth. The uh, ephod. Yeah, the (laughs) ephod uh, uh, just might be a flimsy uh, loincloth of some sort. I see your imagination running wild with that, Randy, Well, I, as to what that must have been. Well, and then she gave him poor, you know, it's like dancing with the stars. She she held up a very low score for his dancing down in the, you know. <laughs> she did not approve. She did not approve of the dancing. Of that performance, not even a little. Maybe, uh, you know, that was, that was an important part of the story that only you, Randy, would have read between the lines that his dancing was probably not that good. I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm an astute biblical scholar. There's no doubt about that. You've been poring over the Hebrew here, have you not? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, verse 22, finally, in this section of the story. I will become even more undignified than this, said David, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. 
but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. So in other words, the slave girls were kind of grooving on this, evidently. And, I don't and, know. And, and obviously, he doesn't mind ticking his wife off uh, with his comments on top of it. Well, it gets even better than that in terms of you know something that we do have to kind of read between the lines here. But now we know that David, uh, David has really managed to, uh, to tick Michael off. Uh, she considers him vulgar, inappropriate, disgraced himself in front of the whole people of Israel. But this is, you know, like sometimes in the Bible stories, there's a postscript. And here's our postscript in verse 23 of the sixth chapter. Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Mm. Now, why, Randy, would you say that uh, doesn't say she's barren, doesn't say she's incapable. The Bible sometimes does point that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what the Bible says. It just says after they've had this domestic argument, this squabble, which is a fairly big deal, uh, she has no children. I, I tend to look at it, and maybe I'm reading between the lines, and maybe there's some of our black and white thinkers out there that will chastise me for doing so. I just kind of think that David at that point in time just cut her off, had no nothing more to do with her perhaps emotionally, spiritually, or even sexually. Well, that's what it sounds like, because uh, you need those important elements to uh, to result in the children that weren't there. Why don't we uh, stop the story there at the moment, Mark, because you're off on a good roll, and David is definitely one of our more interesting biblical characters. Uh, we're going to take a short break here. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser on the Men of Valor program, and we'll be right back. I'll be kind if you'll be faithful, you'll be sweet and I'll be grateful. Cover me with kisses, dear, lighten up the atmosphere. Keep me warm inside our bed, I got dreams of you all through my head. Fortune tell us that I'd be free and that's the day you came. Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com. Save you from your past. History is like gravity, it holds you down away from me. You and me, we both got sins, and I don't care about where you've been. Don't be sad and don't explain. This is where we start again. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. 
Seems like we've been uh, stretching a little bit for some triggers over the last several weeks, so uh, maybe there's an invitation to the uh, listeners out there to send us in some of their own examples that we'd be glad to share with our larger audience, but not uh, mentioning you by name necessarily. Well, we won't mention any names, but we would uh, welcome that uh, that opportunity, and uh, you can simply send those ideas to us at info at faithfulandtrue.com, and under the subject line, put Trigger of the Week, because uh, we just celebrated show number 80 last okay. week, Mark. Mm-hmm. So after 80 shows and trying to come up with a new, fresh, you know, trigger every week, uh, it does get to be challenging. We try not to be too repetitious, but in today's world, today's culture, a lot of times the triggers are repetitious. Yeah, they really are. Because they yeah. uh, present themselves in, in similar fashion sometimes. There are sometimes with the triggers of the week that we step on toes, and one of the ones that I was thinking about today was actually reaffirmed today by one of our uh, men that was in this morning to see me. Uh, It happened to me on Sunday. Uh, It happens occasionally. Obviously, we as um, men who are trying to remain sexually faithful, men of sexual integrity, we have certain boundaries when it comes to uh, relating to other women. You know, one of mine has always been that I'm not going to touch other women, uh, if there are times when women uh, want to affirm and, you know, maybe like at the end of a couple session or something like that and have a hug, I might do it side to side. I might do it uh, like what we call a tent hug. There's not going to be any direct body contact really that much. Now, occasionally you haven't had chances to, to educate <laughs> all your audience about your boundaries. And so uh, this past Sunday, I was uh, actually giving the message at one of our local churches here and the pastor of that church was very courageous and invited me to come down and talk about the issues of pornography to the entire church. So that was a great experience for me. So I'm walking out to my car, and uh, some nice, very nice lady comes rushing up to me and says, Dr. Lisa, before you leave, I just wanted to tell you how courageous I thought that message was. And then she wanted to give me a hug. So she opened her arms, and you know, I, I'm ready for the tent hug or the side hug. And she, no, she... And she grabbed she, me. She went. <laughs> the, the, the bear hug was the about, bear hug was about was to be there. delivered. Was, yeah. So you know, uh, I would like all the the wives listening out there to know that you know there are times when um, not by our choice. I mean, some other people are going to cross our boundaries. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm not accusing this woman of any ill intention, any uh, any other motivation other than to be affirming. You know, it's not about her. It's just about the fact that she uh, felt like that was the way she wanted to express her appreciation. So she was caught up in her gratitude. Right, that's right, and that you know a lot of families are like that. I sure. mean, you know, some of our families uh, that we work with here, you know, they, uh, people grow up and there's no touching, there's no hugging. Then there's other families that they're friendly, they hug each other all the time, and nobody thinks anything of it. It's not uh, inappropriate. I would say, uh, from my own experience too, you know, there's times when you know when a hug is inappropriate and times when you right. don't. And right. sometimes that's not always measured by the geographic or proximity to each other. But, but more or less, uh, you know, I do try to observe a boundary of not, you know, having those close hugs. So anyway, that was the trigger of the week, which was reaffirmed by one of our men earlier today who said he had a similar experience and it was, it was very uncomfortable for him in the very early days of his recovery. Well, and in his particular case, what was interesting is it was a like an executive co-worker. So, you know, he was caught by surprise uh, just because they had had a successful meeting or came out of a meeting with, uh, you know, the, the right corporate uh, uh, 
outcome and you know in her exuberance and she was a hugger you know she delivered that hug and you're right it, it caught him off guard and was not quite translated like it was meant to be delivered well that's right so anyway enough of that trigger of the week we need to return back to days of yesteryear uh, back to david and michael david and michael that's where we left off david and michael the estranged couple i think that's an important piece to remember to put this the, the later part of this story into context so now in chapter 11, we learn that uh, David is continuing to fight a number of battles against all the enemies around uh, Israel. He's trying to solidify the political power of the country, uh, in which he obviously, during the course of his career, does a great job of. In this particular chapter, he's fighting some battles. It's not important to know all the necessary powers that he's up against. But uh, for some reason, on this particular occasion, uh, he's not leading the troops himself. He was good at that, but I think as he got older, he started delegating the authority to some other generals. In this case, uh, a guy by the name of Joab. And uh, Joab is fighting a battle. David is back at the uh, palace. And if we remember the uh, strange situation with Michael... And we remember the fact that maybe he's a lonely king. Power is sometimes quite a weight on your shoulders. Sounds to me like he's not able to sleep. I'm not going to read through all this because it would take too long. But the gist of it is, and it's described there if you want to look at it in chapter 11, you know, he's uh, walking the balcony at night. I, my, my sense of it is the pressure, the stress of the warfare and the battle and, you know, all of the political pressure, he's not able to sleep. Uh, so he's roaming the balcony. And that's where he stumbled across as he looks down. And in those days, the palace was the highest point in Jerusalem. So the city was built on a hill, and you could look down at some of the other houses and the rooftops. And uh, there, of course, as we know, most people know this story, Bathsheba was taking a bath, and uh, David was able to look right down on it. The Bible describes uh, that as he saw her nakedness, he became rather fascinated by that. So, so far in our story, we've had David the exhibitionist, and now he's kind of a voyeur. By the way, you know, it's, it's not something he's intentionally gone out to do. It's just he stumbles across it, but he pursues it, and he asks some of his servants who this woman is. Turns out she's the daughter of so-and-so and the wife of one of his soldiers, Uriah the Hittite. So he finds out who she is. He knows he's married, but nevertheless, he sins for her. And the Bible is, you know, at this point, when it comes to sexuality, it's just very succinct. It said that they lied together, which means that they, they had sex together. And then uh, the Bible goes on right away to say, Bathsheba went home, and after fasting a little bit and trying to purify herself, she finds out she's pregnant, and she sends David a message. Now David's got the classic uh, problem that a lot of addicts have. He's got, a, he's got a situation where his sexual sin, the adultery he's committed, has uh, resulted in a consequence. And he tries to cover it up. And he, he brings Uriah, the husband, back from the battlefield. He sends instructions to have him come back. And he basically treats him well, greets him kindly, and says, oh, you've been fighting so hard. Why don't you go spend some time at home with your wife? Uriah is a is a faithful and honest man, and he knows Jewish custom. And his belief as a soldier, when he's in the middle of a battle, he's not to enjoy any of the comforts of a house so, or, you know, being with his own wife. And he, he explicitly says that. When I'm in the middle of battle, I'm not to go home, eat food, lie with my wife. And so he comes back to David, and he basically, David has been trying to get him to uh, have sex with Bathsheba so that... He that can claim that the child is his. Is Uriah's, yeah. and not his own. 
So uh, David is, you know, to be honest, David gets kind of angry about this. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that he's getting angry about the fact that some guy is actually a man of integrity, uh, a man of of faith, a man of uh, discipline, and he's angry at that guy. And uh, I would say that's that's typical of a lot of addicts that I've known. We'll tend to get mad at other men that we perceive to be so much more honorable at times than we are. So he sends instructions to the front to Joab, uh, the next battle, to put Uriah in the front. In the front, and uh, they have some rather good ar- archers. The enemy does, and Uriah is picked off uh, evidently rather quickly, and he's killed. David now has free access to Mary Bathsheba, which he does. Now, I think most of our listeners will know the story keeps going, and uh, Nathan, the prophet, uh, figures this out, and nobody's getting fooled here. He gets married, and like a month later, Bathsheba has a baby. (laughs) So, you know, uh, the deception is is rather obvious. So uh, Nathan comes, and uh, again today, we don't have a lot of time to get into all of the story that he tells. He weaves a tale. He gets uh, David to be angry at the story Nathan is telling. And then, then one of the more famous lines in the whole Bible, Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are that man who has stolen a sheep. Now David is disgraced. And uh, Nathan basically prophesies that uh, the son that Bathsheba and David have had as a result of their infidelity, God is going to take, God is going to kill. And David fasts and he mourns and he prays for God not to do that, for God to spare him of that consequence. Nevertheless, the boy dies. And then David decides to finally, after a few weeks, eat some food and finally goes and he lies again with Bathsheba and they have a son. Now, this son that they have as a result of uh, that that uh, connection turns out to be none other than Solomon. So Solomon, of course, the wisest man in all of the Bible, who we'll also turn to in another segment of our radio show because he's also one of our characters in terms of God of the Second Chance. But nevertheless, for the moment, the story, in a way, has a happy ending. I never like it in the Old Testament where God allows certain people to be killed and, you know, that kind of thing. But nevertheless, there was a consequence to the sin. I think one of the things in terms of God of the second chance is that, number one, given the fact that he committed adultery, God could have had David killed. He could have removed him from the throne. He could have had Bathsheba killed. He could have had her die in childbirth. Uh, There could have been a lot of other consequences here. But uh, no, uh, God allows uh, David and Bathsheba to continue to be together. They're generally widely regarded as lovers and and all of that. And it's out of their line that come, you know, the lineage of Jesus himself. So I think one of the great parts about this story is that uh, something good can come out of something that was sinful and that, that an act of adultery led to a relationship that eventually produced the lineage of Jesus himself and Solomon, you know, and a whole lot of great things happened for the, uh, people of Israel after David had had uh, committed this egregious sin. I'd like just to pause for a moment like we sometimes do and, and just invite through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, God to speak to all of our listeners in the way that only God can through the Holy Spirit and say, where do you find meaning or where do you find instruction in this story? I know as a recovering person myself, this story gives me great comfort because I know that all of the good things that have happened, uh, you know, after I was discovered, found out, confronted, you know, this story kind of confirms that God is not finished with us. God may not even have really started yet. 
in that uh, if we are humble, David humbled himself after this experience. David fasted and he prayed and he humbled himself. And it was out of that that I think God allowed him to remain king, to have another son. The son was rather important. The lineage goes on to Jesus. I mean, I think the humbling, the fasting, the praying, the, uh, the uh, brokenness that David had is one of the key signs that God will respect. And God is the God of the second chance when we're like that. He is not finished with us. And he may have many more great things in store for us. Well, it's amazing how the sinful nature of David's early behavior really resulted in magnificent results that God had planned. You know, uh, we often forget that God knows us much better than we know ourselves. That's right. And he knows what lies ahead for us. And we never know what God's plan is for us. But in God's wisdom, he knew that... uh, uh, Solomon was on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the family lineage of of Jesus himself was on the horizon. Right. Uh, and this does give great hope to everyone out there mm-hmm. who is struggling because of their uh, their own sinfulness, right. and that God has got an unimaginable uh, uh, ability to forgive us. Right. I hope all of our listeners today will take. Uh a great sense of hope from stories like this. That's one of the reasons we're doing this series. Uh, one of the major things that, that propels addicts in the direction of their acting out behaviors is shame. And God, uh, through stories like this in the Bible, wants us to know that, as Paul teaches us in the New Testament, there is no sin that separates us from the love of Jesus Christ. There is no sin that is not common to man, all of us. And for any of us who have ever committed adultery, I think this story of David uh, gives us a great sense that uh, there is hope. And one last thing to point out, and that is, I know some of the addicts, when they uh, finally get clean, finally get sober, finally get honest, they do sometimes expect or like or, or, or want or long for God to reward them by not punishing them with any kind of confrontation or any kind of consequences. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, I've seen over and over again that God sometimes chooses to allow consequences because the ongoing consequences are what allow an addict to continue to be humble and broken and to take their recovery seriously. So if that is the case for you, I know that's hard. I know that's tragic. I know that's very difficult. That's exactly where all the men need lots of support. And I'd, I'd also like to say part of the story I don't like is that Michael, although she sounds like a bit of a hateful person here, you know, I don't like the fact that, you know, the ending for her is uh, not as uh, glorious as it is for David. So for all the wives listening, I I just want you to hear from me. I raised this story, and I do feel bad for Michael. I just don't think what happened in this story is totally fair to her. But there's, there's times in Scripture where we don't always understand. We hope that today's message has been one of great benefit to you and great relief and great comfort in knowing that we are loved by a God of second chances and much, much more. You've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host. We'd like to thank Ben Laser, our engineer and technical director, and we hope that uh, today's message has been one that will sustain you throughout this coming week. We look forward to joining you again next week on the Men of Valor program. 
You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.